can please remain standing and turn with me in your Bible to the Gospel of Matthew. If you're visiting with us today and don't have a Bible, um, you can grab that pew Bible in front of you. We'd love for you to take it home uh, with you if you don't have a Bible. Um, if, uh, if you don't have a Bible with you, uh, we've printed the text for you in the worship guide on page 10. And I'm only going to read, we're only going to look at, we've printed more than we're going to look at today, but we're only going to look at verses 33 through 37 this morning. This is God's Word. Jesus says, Again, you have heard that it was said to those of old, You shall not swear falsely, but you shall perform to the Lord what you have sworn. But I say to you, do not take the oath at all, either by heaven, for it is the throne of God, or by earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not take an oath by your head, for you cannot make one hair white or black. Let what you say be simply yes or no. Anything more than this comes from evil. You may be seated. We join with me as we pray one more time and ask God's blessing on his word preached. Let's pray. Uh, Lord Jesus, we just sung this word, Be Thou My Vision. So we would pray now that as we come to your word that we would have left here today with a vision of your glory and faithfulness, your trustworthiness, O oh God. We pray that your power would be experienced as we look into your word, that you would draw us out of ourselves, and that you would shape us to be more like you. For God, we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. In a post-truth world, Jesus is making a people who love the truth because God is trustworthy. That's where we're going today. And because God is trustworthy, he intends to make a trustworthy people. Here's why. Deception creates chaos. Trustworthiness creates flourishing. Deception creates chaos. Trustworthiness creates flourishing. Rumors were spreading across the nation not too long ago this past fall that pizza parlors were harboring child traffickers. Conspiracy websites often a bastion of half-truths, were having a reputation, no reputation for going through the rigors of, of uh, looking into the facts to see if they're valid or not. We're spreading the rumor without verifying the facts that every time a WikiLeaks email from John Podesta mentioned pizza, it was referring to child traffickers. Therefore, pizza joints must be harboring child traffickers. Not because there was evidence for that, but just because people didn't like Hillary Clinton and therefore John Podesta, and he must be up to no good. And the rumor spread devoid of verified half-truths confirming biases. Deception creates chaos. And a man walked into Comet Ping Pong Pizzeria in Washington, D.C. with a loaded rifle ready to deal with the child traffickers. He held the a place hostage for over an hour with little children in the building because he had believed a lie. Fake news creates chaos and instability. Lies disrupt. They break apart communities. 
lives disrupt, that create disruption and chaos in families. Marriages often fall apart, not because of an affair, but because the affair broke trust. And the marriage just can't go on anymore. So in a post-truth world, Jesus is making a people who love the truth and are trustworthy because God is true and trustworthy. And because God is trustworthy, He unleashes His power to remake a people who are made in His image, a trustworthy people. Jesus had said prior here, I had come to abolish the law to fulfill it. His power unleashed in this world, the resurrection power that we had seen last week where we said, you know, like, our potential is not determined by our past, but by the potential power of the resurrected Jesus who reigns on high. Now he's taking us back here and he says, let me tell you what my power will make. My power will make the kind of people who love God's law and are righteous like he is righteous. I'll give you my power to create a holy people, a righteous people. So he doesn't put the law on the bottom rack. He takes it off the bottom rack where it's accessible by the weakest. And he calls us to something so great that apart from God and his word, we have no hope of becoming this kind of people. He calls us to something that's so far beyond our reach that apart from him, we cannot attain it. Children, you go to the grocery store, you ever notice that your favorite cereal is on the bottom shelf? Right? They don't put grape nuts on the bottom shelf. They put Lucky Charms on the bottom shelf, right? Because then the weakest and those with the smallest arms can reach it. It's accessible to them. When you see what Jesus is doing here is he's pulling the law off the bottom shelf and putting it so far beyond our reach that he says, unless I hold you and you stand on my shoulders, you cannot be the kind of person that I'm calling you to be. And so he follows a formula repeatedly throughout this chapter and it goes like this you've heard it said he starts it this way you've heard it said that it of old repeats it divorce verse 31 lust in verse 27 anger in verse 21 and then he quotes the rabbis of the law who had a common understanding of the law and made it accessible you have heard it said Bottom shelf understanding of the law. You shall not swear falsely, but perform to the Lord what you have sworn. And that seems very clear and at face value. Pretty good morality. But Jesus is not intending to create a pretty good people. He is creating a righteous people. A people who are like his father. A people who hunger and thirst after righteousness. And so Jesus goes after the way the Pharisees had been dealing with the issue of trustworthiness when it comes to oath. And some have wanted to argue here that Jesus is saying that oaths themselves are unbiblical because of this passage. Jesus isn't prohibiting oaths. He's, as he often does, he's going after something much deeper. He's going after here what are oaths. Oaths are solemn promises. Well, we don't use oaths a lot in our culture. I mean, um, there are a few occasions... They're once more common than they are today. But here's what an oath is. It's a solemn promise that calls God as a witness so that he'll keep us accountable. And we aren't people who like to commit to things. We like our options. We're constantly on the lookout for the next great thing. We're a little oath shy, a little promise shy. 
because it will commit us and that will limit our options. We're going to circle back around to that in a second. But in some cases, we still take oaths. Technically, our wedding vows are more oaths than they are vows. This is the reason why Christian weddings, we have a minister who stands there receiving the vows, reciting the vows in their presence. We're calling God, witness what I'm doing and hold me accountable. I'm promising to perform an action into the future and I want you to hold me accountable for that. When you become a member of the church, as we did today, those technically are oaths, not vows. God, I am promising future obedience in your presence, and I want you to hold me accountable for that. When you become a public official, you take an oath of office. Some professions, like doctors, begin their careers with oaths even today. But the law of God permitted the taking of oaths, and in a number of instances, there were oaths taken. This is why Jesus is not outlawing oaths. Oaths were very common in the Bible. Abraham, David, even Jesus, when he was on trial, took an oath. The Apostle Paul calls God to witness his promises on at least four occasions throughout his letters. It's his way of saying, look, I I want you to so get this. I'm going to promise that this is true with God calling me as a witness. And if God is a witness, he's going to keep me accountable. And if it's not true, I'm going to expect him to discipline me. But what was happening in the day of Jesus is the Jewish teachers had developed a detailed set of rules for taking oaths. And it was really a detailed set of rules for getting out of the promise. For instance, one could swear by Jerusalem, and it wasn't binding. And so Jesus says, look, it's the city of the great king. You can't make an oath to Jerusalem and not think that God's involved. It's his city. But if he swore toward Jerusalem, that was a binding oath. If you swore by the hairs of your head, that was not binding. But if you swore by something else, it was. These were, these, these were rules that were like little children crossing their fingers when they made a promise. Sort of their way of saying, asterisk, I can get out of this if I want to. A loophole for the promise. And that leads us to the reason, really, that taking oaths is even necessary. I mean, this is a Jesus' basic assumption. Humanity, all of us, are an inherently deceptive people. Lying is in our nature because we are descendants of Adam who was led astray by a lie and then lied to God in response. Deception is of the flesh. And here's what deception is always about. Deception is always about power and control. And so among Jesus's people, there should be no deception. What should mark the people of God is a trustworthiness when it comes to our mouth. And so in verse 37, Jesus says it this way. He gives us instruction. Let your, what you say be simply yes or no. And then he gives a reason why. Anything more than this comes from evil. Or if you've got your Bible in front of you, there's probably a little footnote there. You look down on the bottom of the page and it says that this could also be translated the evil one. Anything more than just a simple, clear yes or a simple, clear no comes from the evil one. And what he's doing is he's, he's getting at the root, he's confronting the root of our deception that's in our hearts 
And that root is essentially, I want things my way, and I want to stay in control. And so I'm going to always keep my fingers crossed and give myself an out when I make a promise. Or I'm going to communicate in half-truths that I can eventually twist if I need to, so that I can maintain control and power. And the deception is very subtle. When you argue with someone, your spouse, children, your parents... You often take their words out of context and then use them against them. So we masquerade, we specialize in half-truths. We grab bits and pieces of truths to make our point, to support our point so that we win. Taking words out of context. This kind of truth-twisting deception seems so innocuous at times. I mean, what, what harm can a little white lie do what what's the problem with a half truth twisted go back to the beginning it ruined the world satan specialized in half truths and in john 14 jesus says of this of satan he is a liar he is the father of lies when he lies he speaks out of his own character it is his nature to lie when sin entered the world it wrecked it and it did so through the half truth of the deceiver he's a master of half truths he, he just twists things just enough to make him plausible to eb says i i really think God didn't really mean to say that, did he? Like, God's not trustworthy. He's trying to hold back things from you by implication, half-truth. He's trying to hold back good things. Well, of course God was trying to hold back things from Adam and Eve. He did not want them to know evil as intimately as we have become to know it in our hearts, in, in our culture, in our world as broken as it is. He was holding that back. And Satan twists that. He's holding back good things from you. The master of half-truths is his nature to lie. Half-truths are not safe. They ruin things. Deception creates chaos. Truth, trustworthiness creates stability and flourishing. That's why Google and Facebook are in a mad rush to confront fake news you can't trust their platform their platforms are going to be crushed and cease to exist where truth is absent stability is absent that we're made to be people who can trust things that are true and so much of our our anxieties and fears in life are the fears of the unknown and the uncertain which are really underlying it saying i don't know what to trust anymore i don't know what to trust and this is a point the Bible just repeats repeatedly. If you're going to flourish, you must be rooted in an unshakable truth so that you can have an unshakable trust. And so God, a point that the Bible makes over and over and over again, God is truth. And he does not lie. In fact, he cannot lie. It's in his nature. He's the true one. God is light in him. There is no darkness at all, John, 1 John 1. Therefore, he cannot lie. There's no shadow. There's no turning in him. And so that all that he says is, does, is 
true. He is always consistent with his nature. He is the one trustworthy one. And the reason the Bible makes this point over and over again is it makes this point when the people of God are experiencing the most chaos in their lives, when they're going through the wilderness having come out of Egypt, and there's no food for them. And the Egyptians are running after them. In the book of Numbers, God says, look, I cannot lie. You can trust me. I made a promise. I'll accomplish them. He can be trusted because he's the true one. And his trustworthiness is the basis of confidence and stability in life. There's this internal consistency to God. He's not made up of different parts. He's simple. And, and by simple, we don't mean stupid or slow. He's not simple-minded. What we mean by simple is he's, he's, he's got one. He's one thing. He is God. And he who is holy and righteous is holy and righteous and true and loving. These are not in, inconsistencies. And one of the reasons that we're such an inconsistent people, there are parts of us. Like there's, there's the part of me that is, is still trying to get over my, my childhood abuse. And there's this part of me that is indwelt by the Spirit. And so I'm inconsistent. We lack integrity. Not so with God. Not made up of parts. Simple. There's nothing to contradict in him. He's always internally consistent because he is as he does. He always does what he is. And because he's not made up of contradictory parts, you can trust him because he does not change his mind. His yes is always yes. And his no is always no. He does what he says. He is what he does. And why is this so important? Because his promises become the foundation for your soul to flourish. His word is true because it's his word. It's not true because it's measured against something else, because it's been verified by something external to be true. It is true because it is the word of the one true one. The one alone is trustworthy. When he speaks, he speaks in trustworthy ways. And so Jesus, at the end of the Bible, in the book of Revelation, makes this bold declaration. Write these words down, he says to John. Why? For these words, the book of Revelation, the whole of the Bible, for these words are trustworthy and true. God is as he does. And so when he speaks, he speaks as the one true one whose word is trustworthy. And there's a couple implications for this. First, you can build your life on it. You don't have to doubt it. Secondly, you can read it as a clear word. God is forthright and clear. His yes is yes and his no is no. When he speaks in his word, he speaks clearly. You don't have to look for the real meaning behind what he says, you can take it at face value. The plain reading of the Bible is the most enjoyable way to read it. You can build your life on it. And see, confidence and stability is rooted in trustworthiness. In order for your soul to flourish, it must be built on something that is trustworthy. And so the trustworthy promises of God are the foundation of our assurance of faith. We said last week, faith is less like learning truths in the classroom 
and more like going to the hospital to entrust yourself to the care of somebody else because you can't handle it by yourself anymore. And so if faith entrusts myself to Jesus' care, then assurance of faith is when my soul is sure and confident and therefore stable that Jesus is able to do everything that he promises. And so it's one thing to say, look, I'm righteous before God, not because of anything that I've done, but because of the righteousness of Christ. It's another thing to live with a sense of confidence in light of that truth. That's the difference of assurance of faith. When failure undoes you or you lack boldness before others because you fear their opinions of you, then you need more of the experience of assurance of faith. Assurance is the sureness that God is trustworthy, and when he speaks, you can build your life on it. It is the experience of God's promises. And the way assurance of worth is directly tied to our confidence and the trustworthiness of God. To faith, it's one thing to say, I have faith. And if you say, I have faith, the next question that you should automatically ask is, faith in what? Or faith in who? Faith always involves trust and trusting yourself. And so solid trust, soul-liberating, flourishing trust always involves trustworthiness. Watch a child who can't trust his parents. Anxiety's on the rise. There are, there are all kinds of, of behavior problems that come out. They need a, a stable, trustworthy home. They're actually asking, Can I, if I can't trust you, my life is in chaos and, and and how can I know that anything's going to be okay? And anxiety rises because i got to take care of myself now. And so assurance of faith really is grounded. Can I entrust myself to the one whose promises I can trust? Students, someone ever asks you this hypothetical question, is there something an all-powerful God cannot do? I want you to answer this way. He cannot lie. See, Abraham and Sarah were so late in life when God made a promise to move his kingdom forward through them. They're in their 90s. And they're wondering, like, is the kingdom of God going to stop with me because we have no children, we have no child to pass on the promises to? And they're wondering, is the line of God going to end here? Where, like, there's no way we're going to have children what is God going to do? And so he says, look, I'm going to give you a seed, a child. And the kingdom's going to go forward. I'm going to save you. I'm going to unwreck the world and heal it. And they just started laughing like this is impossible. Ninety years old, this is unbelievable. How can I trust you? You know what God does? This is what the writer of Hebrews says. So when God desired to show more convincingly to the heirs of the promise the unchangeable character of his, his purpose, he bows down and he says, look, I want you to be so rooted in my trustworthiness to build your life on my promise. I want to comfort you with the trustworthiness of my promise. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to come down to where you're at. And he guaranteed his promise with an oath. So that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we 
can't lie because it's out of his character. He can't lie because he can't break his word. These unto changeable things, we who have fled for refuge might have strong encouragement to hold fast to the hope set before us. So the question your soul is constantly asking in a post-truth world, how can I be sure? Because God has promised and he cannot deny himself. 2 Timothy 2, 13. So the way out of flourish, the way into flourishing and out of chaos, the way into flourishing and out of chaos is a slow, daily trust in the trustworthiness of God. So in January of 1945, as World War II was coming to a, a close, or 500 POWs, mostly Americans in a Japanese prisoner of war camp. And so the army sent in 121 elite army rangers, and they liberated them, drove the Japanese out, set them free. But one of the most interesting facets of that story was the reaction of many of the prisoners. They were so defeated and so distressed and familiar with deceit that many had become convinced that this was just a ploy. It was a trick, a trap. They didn't think it was real. One prisoner, Captain Burt Bank, was struggling. He was blind. He had a vitamin deficiency because he hadn't been fed. Clearly couldn't make out his rescuers. Believed this was a lie, just a trap. Another way the Japanese were deceiving them. And so he refused to budge. And slowly, a sol- another soldier walked up to him and reached down and tugged on his arm. He said, what's wrong? Don't you want to be free? And here's what happened. Captain Bank was from Alabama. And he recognized the familiar southern accent and realized it broke into his world and cut the deception free. I hear the voice of one I can trust. And his trustworthiness means his promise is the path out of freedom. And thankfully, thankfully, A smile formed on his lips, and he went from afraid to willing and rejoicing. Look, Jesus is the trustworthy voice. His accent is the one he bends down constantly through his word to remind us, this is true, you can believe it. Walk out of your imprisonment to freedom, because his word is always yes, his no is always no. He is the way, the truth, the life. Those things always go together. The way, the truth, the life. They always go together in the pathway to flourishing. So here's what I want to leave you with. I want to call you, in light of belonging to the one who is trustworthy, and on whose trustworthy promises we build our lives of flourishing, I want to call you, as followers of Jesus Christ, to become a trustworthy, truth-telling people so that our world can flourish. Right, so if you're, if you're a follower of Jesus, I want to talk to you specifically for a second and call you to live this way. First, I want you to be like the Father. Okay, that's the goal of Jesus, exerting his power to make you like the Father. First, put away deception. Make that commitment. Lying is a damnable offense. The little white lie leads to the red-hot wrath of God. Lying lips are an abomination to the Lord. Proverbs 12, 22. 
but those who act faithfully are his delight. Why does he hate it? Because he's not like that. Why does he love it? Because he's trustworthy. And again, in the book of Revelation, towards the end of the Bible, those here's the new heavens and new earth coming down. Those who are in belong to the trustworthy one. Those who are out love and practice falsehood. Jesus is making the people who are like his father. Secondly, so put away deception. Secondly, be careful what you spread. I mean, don't spread rumors about each other. Don't spread half-truths that you may or may not be true. Verify your information. Guard your keyboard. Do not be a promoter of half-truths. Before you spread things on the internet and in emails, check their trustworthiness. I feel like I could spend all day sometimes just copying and pasting from Snopes.com to people's Facebook posts. It's not that hard to verify if things are true, but before you spread them, verify whether they're true so that you would be known as a trustworthy person. If you don't know it's true, don't speak. It is better to be silent than to spread half-truths. Thirdly, repent of hypocrisy. I mean, if you're, if you're not a Christian and you think that the church is marked by hypocrites, I want you to hear Jesus saying, I hate that about us. Those are, those are people who are promoting half-truths. The whole truth is, I am more wicked than I could ever plumb the depths of, more loved in Christ than I could ever dare dream. Those are the truths about who I am in Christ. I'm not a good person. I'm a desperately wicked person who needs Jesus. That is a message that our world wants to hear. It is true and will lead to flourishing. Put away hypocrisy. Tell the truth about yourself. Keep your word. Fourthly, be slow to make promises and quick to keep them. If you make a rash promise, go and ask for mercy rather than not keeping your word. Right? Don't overcommit and underdeliver. You're free to say no to things that you can't do. Right? Let your yes be yes. If you say yes, intend to accomplish it. If you say no, don't do it. Undercommit. Over-deliver. I mean, the gospel promise says that your, your worth is not based on your performance at all. So you don't have to overcommit and then try to do everything. You can say no, and it doesn't have to threaten your sense of worth. But if you say yes, intend with all your might to accomplish what you say yes to. But on the flip side, don't keep from saying yes. And some of you need to hear this too. Don't keep from saying yes just because you're afraid to commit. That's, a, that's just as much a practical denial of the power of Jesus who is working in you by the Holy Spirit if you're afraid to commit to things. When you say yes, say yes. But sometimes you have to say yes and then lean into Jesus, working by all your power because the Spirit is at work in you to perform all that you say you will do. And along those lines, lastly... Make oaths when necessary. Step up your game in the promise world. The opposite of lying is not lot lying. The opposite of lying, the opposite of deception is trustworthiness, which means committing and completing. There are solemn times to make a 
promise and then call God to witness it so that you will hold, be held accountable for it. And this just runs against everything in our lives. I mean, some of you are probably getting a little nauseous thinking about committing at that level. I mean, where the world says flourishing is to limit your commitments and keep your options open, Jesus turns it on its head and says that the way of flourishing is to limit your options and deepen your commitments. Say no to things and don't do them. Say yes to things. And in occasion when necessary, call God to witness. Keep me accountable to this. If you must discipline me in order for me to accomplish, I want my yes to be yes, my no to be no. I'm trusting you to make me as trustworthy as you are. Discipline where necessary and power every day. The world needs trustworthiness from people who are rooted in a trustworthy Savior. Because trustworthiness, in a post-truth world especially, trustworthiness is necessary for flourishing in this world. Let's pray. Father, thank you that your word not only is true but trustworthy and we can build our life on your promises. Assure us, please, by your Holy Spirit, may we hear the accent coming from the world to come where the Lord Jesus dwells and there is no more deception. May we recognize his absence his accent when he says, you can trust me. Let me lead you out into freedom. And then make us, make us a trustworthy people whose yes is known to be yes and no, known to be no. We pray this, Lord Jesus, in your name, amen. Our song of response this morning is, O Love That Will Not Let Me Go. Please stand as we sing that.